Hi everyone, welcome to 10-Minute Workday Zen, the podcast about trying to bring a little calm into the chaos of our day-to-day. Every episode, we read through a Zen cone or other teaching, and talk about how the lessons we learn can be applied to our lives. I'm your host, Chris Aiken, and today we'll be talking about what you can learn about enlightenment from a tree. The title of today's cone is, How Grass and Trees Become Enlightened. During the Kamakura period, Shinken studied Tendai six years, and then studied Zen seven years. Then he went to China and contemplated Zen for 13 years more. When he returned to Japan, many desired to interview him and asked obscure questions. But when Shinkin received visitors, which was infrequently, he seldom answered their questions. One day, a 50-year-old student of enlightenment said to Shinkin, I have studied the Tendai school of thought since I was a little boy, but one thing in it I cannot understand. Tendai claims that even the grass and trees will become enlightened. To me, this seems very strange. Of what use is it to discuss how grass and trees become enlightened? asked Shinkin. The question is how you yourself can become so. Did you ever consider that? I never thought of it that way, marveled the old man. Then go home and think it over, finished Shinkin. When I first read through this cone, I came up with an initial lesson that I found that was pretty simplistic. Basically, Shinken is telling the old man that he needs to pay attention to the things that matter, you know, like his own enlightenment, and stop focusing on the small trivia that doesn't quite click. On the surface, this looks like it's a lesson about finding proper focus. I think that might be a little too simplistic, so I gave it some more thought, and in fact, This particular cone was on the schedule to be read and talked about about a week ago, but I wanted to really delve into what I think this means. Instead of focusing our lesson today on the fact that Shinken is almost berating the old man for thinking about things in the wrong way, I'm going to berate myself for thinking about things in the wrong way, and then I'm going to jump back a little bit earlier in the cone and talk about the fact that the old man asks a very interesting question. Why does the Tendai school of thought claim that even grass and trees will become enlightened? And if it's so easy that even plants can do it, why is it so difficult for people to do it? In order to figure this out, I started building a dichotomous key in my mind about what the major differences between plants and people really are. Now, yes, I'm sure you don't need me to sit here and tell you, well, the major difference between you and a tree is you don't have any bark or leaves and you don't have to be planted in the dirt. We get that. Those are the major physical differences between entirely different life forms. Again, I went beyond the obvious and I started thinking about the fact that plants and humans have a lot in common, most especially the idea of the senses, how we experience the world. A great many studies have been conducted over the years that show plants have comparable senses to human beings. In a study called Plants Respond to Leaf Vibrations Caused by Insect Herbivore Chewing by Apple and Cocroft, they showed that the vibrational energy transferred from a caterpillar's bite along the leaf of a plant signaled to the plant that it was being eaten, and the plant responded defensively by releasing chemicals. All hearing is, is responding to vibrations in the air, responding to vibrations around us. That's all hearing really is. So plants can hear, and we know that people can hear because you're listening to a podcast and you're not looking at me while I'm talking. But I had already known about the study following the hearing capabilities of plants. I delved a little further and found that, lo and behold, plants also respond to touch. 
When I thought about this a little more, I realized I knew about this one too, because I had a Venus flytrap when I was a kid, and Venus flytraps respond to touch whenever a bug lands on them and they eat it. I also found a paper called Study of the Geometry and Folding Pattern of Leaves of Mimosa Pudica, which I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. It's from the Journal of Bionic Engineering by a gentleman named Patil. This plant folds its flower and leaves and everything in in response to certain stimuli, particularly touch. And the theory is it folds in because it's trying to protect itself from certain environmental dangers, like becoming dehydrated. We already have two example plants that respond to touch. It's probably a pretty good bet that a lot of plants respond to touch. And in fact, when you look at plants that are in a heavily windswept area, they tend to stunt their growth, which indicates to me that they're responding to the touch of the wind. Continuing to explore this idea, I thought about two things, taste and smell. I will be honest when I say I was thinking about this over lunch, so that may have had something to do with it, but again, I do my research and I find that plants do have senses of taste and smell. Taste is when you are responding to soluble chemicals, chemicals that have been dissolved. The birch tree has leaves that absorb and re-release volatile chemicals specific to neighboring plants, and it looks like it's a mechanism for associated herbivore resistance. So essentially what it's doing is it's taking in certain chemicals by tasting it and then releasing certain chemicals as a smell. This was discovered by a whole slew of authors, Himenim uh, et al, which then brings us to smell. So if the birch is releasing volatile chemicals as a smell, that means other plants around it must be able to smell. And they can. Smell is responding to volatile chemicals. For instance, the dodder is a vine, a parasitic vine that contains almost no chlorophyll, so it really can't photosynthesize its food. The only way it lives is by sucking the sugary sap from other plants. It can actually distinguish its potential victims from the way that they smell, and it'll hone in on the ones that it likes the most, and then it'll use the scents emitted by unhealthy victims to avoid them. You can find more about this in the paper titled, Volatile Chemical Cues Guide Host Location and Host Selection by Parasitic Plants, by Runyon et al. So we know that plants and animals share most of the same senses, and the last one we have is sight. I made the mistake of thinking this was the obvious one. Plants respond to light, humans and animals respond to light, we can both see light. But the photoreceptors that plants and humans use to respond to light are very different. For instance, plants have photoreceptors that respond as a reaction to what the light is doing, whereas humans use sight as an interaction to what's going on around it, which is supported by the reflection of light. In fact, the only photoreceptors we have in common are cryptochromes, which allow us to regulate our circadian rhythms. This makes perfect sense because humans act differently during the night and during the day, and plants act differently during the night and during the day. But that's all we actually have in common. I thought that this was such an interesting thing because what it does is it means that our senses of quote-unquote sight aren't equal. I mentioned before that plants are reacting to what's going on. They use light cues to just do very specific mechanical things. They take certain actions based off of certain cues. Animals, and most especially humans, are using light and the photoreceptors in our eyes to understand the world around us. We are using it interactively instead of reactively. So what's the problem? 
Well, technically there is no problem. It's one of the things that sets humans and animals apart from plant life is that we're able to interact and understand what we're seeing. But I think it also poses a problem. Humans tend to spend so much time responding to what we see that we don't spend enough time responding to what we hear, smell, touch, or taste. We tend to have this thing where we ignore our other senses just to give favoritism to sight. But if you've ever read or seen a documentary about court trials where people were relying on what they saw, we know for a fact that human sight and the retention of things that we see, our understanding of things that we see, is incredibly flawed. And I think that is the main difference between why plants in our cone have such an easy time becoming enlightened, whereas people have such a hard time becoming enlightened. We rely so heavily on a sense that is inherently fallible, that has such a small connection to memory and recall, that we are sabotaging our own understanding of what's going on around us. So for your homework today, what I want you to do is go outside and experience nature and the things around you without sight. Now this is an exercise I've done a couple times in the past and I've always really benefited from it, and I think you will too. Find a nice spot, back away from everything, nice patch of grass, sit down, shoes off, shorts or short pants, whatever you can muster, however cold it may be where you are, close your eyes, and I want you to spend five minutes just exploring each one of your senses. When you are done, I want you to write down your experiences with each individual sense. If you've ever actually written, you probably have the same tendency most of us do, is that you tend to describe the world from the point of view of a sighted person, which is fine because that's how most of us are interacting with the world, but try describing the world from the perspective of a being that cannot see. Describe grass based off of touch and smell, possibly taste or sound. Describe dirt or trees or wind using non-sight terms. And that's the second part of your homework. Take the experiences you have with each individual sense and write a description of the things around you. And I think what you'll find is you'll come to a brand new understanding of what's really out there. Thanks for joining me today on 10 Minute Workday Zen. I hope I've given you some food for thought and brought a little calm to a hectic day. If you like this podcast, please take the time to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We really depend on our listeners to help make the show better and to bring it to other people who might benefit from the lessons that we share. This podcast is produced by Aiken Entertainment. Music is from www.bensound.com, all rights reserved.